Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, the CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce this video show and podcast, which is streaming live to you on LinkedIn and IDG's Tech Talk channel on YouTube. Today's episode is sponsored by Cisco, the worldwide leader in technology that powers the internet. Cisco inspires new possibilities by reimagining your applications, securing your data, transforming your infrastructure, and empowering your teams for the future. Learn more about what they're up to at newsroom.cisco.com. We welcome all of our viewers who are with us today to join in this conversation with questions of your own. We have a social media editor who is watching for those on LinkedIn and on YouTube and will do her best to pass them along so I can share them with my guest today. And that guest is, for, to our great fortune, Alan Cullop, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Davida. Denver-based Davida is an $11.5 billion global healthcare provider that specializes in kidney care and dialysis services. The company today serves more than 200,000 patients at more than 2,800 outpatient dialysis centers around the U.S. and several hundred more in 10 countries around the world. Globally, the company employs 70,000 people with 55,000 of those healthcare teammates working here in the U.S. Alan Cullop has been leading DaVita's information technology and digital strategy since 2012, which includes all aspects of global IT and operations and digital strategy. In 2019, Alan was inducted into our CIO Hall of Fame, and just this year, I think about two months ago, he was named Colorado CIO of the Year in the leadership category of the Orbe Awards. Before making his mark as a leading healthcare, uh, healthcare company CIO, Alan served as the CIO at Trizetto Corp, Berkshire Hathaway NetJets, and Sendent Corp, plus many others before that. Alan, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Mary Fran, and thank you. That was quite humbling introduction there. So excited oh, to be on. here. <laughs> I get that from I get that from far too many of my CIO friends. They're always protesting all of their accomplishments. Let me see. Let's start out at that big thirty to fifty thousand foot view about industry disruption and talking about the impact. I think it's especially meaningful for healthcare providers about the impact of the last year that we've been all working our way through the pandemic and the COVID crisis. Tell me how things are going for you out there in Denver with Davida. Uh, they're going quite well. And certainly I would say the last uh, 16 months or so has been, uh, uh, has been challenging uh, for, for I think all of us. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when I think about uh, quite honestly, you know, healthcare, I think uh, really rose to the occasion and mm -hmm. uh, has done a tremendous job across the board. So, First of all, you know, I would give a shout out to everyone who provides care, who uh, who lives on the front lines, does all of the tremendous jobs that those on the front lines do, uh, and really uh, stepped forward to ensure that uh, I think you know that the best care was provided throughout this. Yes. Uh, and I think for for us from a technology perspective, we had the humbling job of 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 quite honestly uh, providing care. 
mm-hmm. you know, or services for them so that they could be uh, at their best. And there was a number of changes uh, that that had to take place. Yes. Uh, we have a number of uh, teammates that uh, and we call our uh, our employees teammates. Uh, we yes. have a number of teammates that uh, essentially uh, work remotely, but the majority actually work live in our centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had to do many things to organize our centers to be safe environments for our patients, but also mm-hmm. for our teammates and our physician partners. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of things that uh, that that really uh, came into play there in terms of you know just uh, changes to our clinical systems, uh, mm-hmm. and we write and create our own clinical systems. So I, we operate off of our own EMR. Uh, and so there was a lot of software changes and a lot of things that we had to do really to accommodate uh, mm-hmm. uh, COVID and yes. you know how you track it, how you manage patients, uh, how you divide across uh, multiple clinics. In addition to that, we have more than 10,000 uh, teammates that actually support uh, that uh, remaining 55,000 or so more uh, mm-hmm. that work in our centers or in our clinics out in the field. So uh, we had to get all of those teammates remote uh, and yeah. uh, to really prepare for that. So uh, it's been uh, a lot of a lot of work while still trying to maintain and keep priorities on track uh, for other initiatives as well. So mm-hmm. Challenging times, very busy. Uh, it seems like a very fast 16 months uh, for it? many of us. <laughs> Doesn't it? I feel like today as we start kind of breaking out into the world again and as more people are vaccinated and, you know, even going to lunch in a restaurant still feels a little anxiety producing for for a lot of us. I wanted to circle back to something you said about you mentioned how you, you essentially have your own uh, a customized EMR, and that's the electronic medical record. And is that, I know that there are a lot of hospital systems that use third-party providers for that. Tell us about DeVita's. Do you have, did you essentially grow your own with an EMR because you are such a specialty healthcare provider? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. Uh, We we essentially, uh, I think when we looked at the hospital systems, they're great systems from the Mm third-party providers, certainly uh, uh, state-of-the-art systems for providing care. But uh, they're, they're primarily designed, uh, I would say, for hospitals. Uh, and hospitals, mm-hmm. think of it, have to be, I say, you know, 100 feet deep in a thousand topics. Uh, and wow. we uh, are, what I say, a mile deep in kidney care. <laughs> and right. so right. Uh, from the activity of providing uh, dialysis uh, for our in-stage renal patients, as well as uh, providing chronic kidney disease uh, and Mm -hmm. advice on how to slow your progression or hopefully stop your progression uh, and the work that we do there. uh, It's just a very, it's very different. And what we found was, you know, the, the third party software products were just not as deep as we wanted to go. Uh, So if you think about uh, just volume wise, uh, we perform more than 30 million dialysis treatments a year. And so, you know, when you think about depth and uh, how far uh, that goes, uh, and the really uh, that's that's very different than what exists, kind of in what I would say standard commercial software or commercial yeah. care. 
Well, and, and no sooner do we get through the first year of the pandemic and all the various challenges that brought, and then there was the availability of vaccines. And I think that, I think I saw in the earnings call with your CEO that at this point, you've got well more than 75% of your patients who uh, seek care with DaVita have already been taken care of with their vaccines. Yes, uh, uh, we're very proud of that. And uh, yeah. I think uh, in terms of we were uh, given, I think the dialysis community uh, has a special relationship for those that uh, are dialysized in our centers. We see them every three days. So if you mm -hmm. think about it, you form a very strong relationship with those patients uh, and they are tops and on our on our list. So ensuring that uh, they got vaccinated and uh, our uh, teammates did as well uh, mm -hmm. was was just top priority for us or really priority one. Yeah. Well, and I know I want to get more into talking about some of these advancing technologies in telemedicine and the things that have been happening, even with artificial intelligence and the way it's been helping. But before that, I wanted you to tell us a little bit more about how you have your IT team structured to deliver all of these services to all of those thousands of places where work is going on from DaVita. Um, your team size worldwide, talk about the size of it and how you have structured it. Uh, I know you've been with DaVita more than nine years, but most CIOs I know are usually every few years, they shake things up and restructure and move things around. So tell us what, what that structure looks like today and what sort of changes you needed to make during the pandemic. Yeah, I would say um, one of the big pieces was we were fortunate in that we are very global and very distributed. Yes. So we have uh, about 2,000 uh, guest teammates and teammates uh, that uh, work uh, that work that work with Davida, and mm -hmm. so and from that perspective, I think you know it was just extremely important uh, from a perspective that. We got we had about 250 people that worked remote uh, full time before uh, the pandemic. So and because we're so broadly distributed across across the globe, uh, we were used to kind of operating semi remotely, even for those teammates and guest teammates that worked in fixed locations. Mm -hmm. So that helped us uh, in terms of, I think, uh, you know, being able to really cascade. But that being said, we, we really had to amp up uh, our thoughts and our game, I would say, in regards to agile development, because a big portion, the reason why we have uh, a large team is that we do software, our own software development. So we're very much, uh, you know, somewhat resemblant, I would say, to a commercial uh, company that produces software. So mm -hmm. we have a, a big portion of the organization that's dedicated to that. That being said, we also have uh, a teams that run packaged applications and commercially available software as well. Uh, right. And those run kind of very differently uh, in terms of, you know, how you structure and organize those. So from that perspective, uh, you know, we, we came together and sort of learned, uh, I would say, uh, a lot about just how to improve collaboration across the pandemic, even mm -hmm. though we had, I would say, a jumpstart uh, out of the gate because we were already partially there. Yeah. Well, and we when we talk about improving collaboration, I know that from um, articles I've seen you quoted in over the years, 
that Davida has always been very intentional about that collaboration and intentional about its culture, about the work culture that you have. And that's a, another uh, common question I've been asking a lot of my CIO friends on this program is what did the, the last year, what impact did that have on your culture? Because a, a lot of times a company culture has as much to do with things around the water cooler and face-to-face -face ability to whiteboard. So when you think back over the last year tell us about some of those changes that you had to make and what you hope will live on after the pandemic is after we put this all behind us sure uh the i think uh intentionality i think we had to really up our games in terms of communications and uh how we communicated because we no longer had the water cooler uh, type experiences. We did host uh, virtual meetings because the team was so dispersed mm -hmm. uh, beforehand, but we uh, really increased communications, uh, I would say probably sixfold, uh, maybe yeah. ten, ten, tenfold uh, in terms of both written communications, uh, the amount of virtual meetings that we were doing uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and taking time because, again, uh, I would say the pandemic uh, taught taught us a number of things that I think because we're so focused on our culture, we we already knew to a certain extent. But I would say it validated uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, really uh, it's people and uh, uh, those that you work with that make you great. And so, yes. uh, you know, you, you need to I think one of the big things that this taught us was, you know, just amping up the communications and the empathy uh, for mm -hmm. those that uh, uh, both, uh, I would say, our patients, our uh, teammates, and our uh, physicians in terms of uh, support, because there were so many things that were dynamically happening away from the workplace, uh, right? Many of us had uh, parents that we were worried about. We had children. Uh, Many were having to now learn how to be school teachers uh, in addition to trying to manage uh, their their day jobs. So we we essentially just became very supportive and, uh, you know, and provided kind of lots of tips and helps and help mm -hmm. uh, to, to those who needed it, yeah. uh, both from, uh, you know, stress uh, reduction and uh, exercises that we did. Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, some of the stuff that we did, because in addition to the pandemic, there was a tremendous amount, uh, I think, of focus on uh, social injustice. Uh, and so uh, we, we created uh, active forums for listening and belonging. And mm -hmm. some of the stuff that I feel probably most proud about, if you look at my you know, entire career as a, as a technologist, was actually uh, the way that I think we, we, we managed and supported our teams throughout. Yeah. Well, and I know from uh, the interviews I've seen with you over the years, you almost always talk about listening skills and teams. And I, I feel like you were talking about the empathetic leadership qualities that are so important kind of years before it became in vogue. So kudos to you on that one. Um, let, what, let me ask about um, one thing that I think was such an assumption beforehand that people needed to do it together. And that was like the scrum meetings and agile teams and that sort of thing. And most every forward looking and um, excellent organizations have a whole variety, if not all of their development happening in agile. What did you t tell us a little bit about how that transition worked for you? What did you have to do? 
uh, we, we essentially, you know, first of all, it was one of the things that made us most nervous, right? Uh, mm. it, you know, was, were we going to disrupt, uh, um, software development and, and how is that going to work? Because we have teams and product teams that work hand in hand, uh, to, you know, and, and if you're familiar with the traditional in office or sort of physical agile setup, I mean, you, you've got five, five workspaces that face each other in very close proximity. You know, there's about two feet of distance between because those groups are so actively, uh, working together and collaborating. Yes. And so uh, for us, uh, what we did essentially was we we leveraged a lot of the kind of collaboration tools, whiteboarding tools, and again, uh, uh, used, uh, I would say, a lot of, you know, a lot of those capabilities at the end of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw we saw and we tracked it because uh, we we try, you know, we sort of understand the metrics of how all this works. And mm-hmm. across the first probably six weeks, we saw about a 10, 15 percent drop in, in productivity. Uh, by uh, three months later, uh, we were actually back at productivity and actually a little higher than it had been before. Uh, but it took a lot of intentionality in terms of you know, uh, driving the communications. But because of some of that intentionality, I think, you know, it actually helped us to make productivity actually slightly higher than it was before. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so some good lessons to carry forward. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's funny that I've had so many conversations in recent months with CIOs who got at one point a little worried about all the productivity because people were working at, you know, it seemed like 30% higher productivity in some areas. And it makes you start wondering about that whole work-life balance, which got, I think, completely skewed probably during the pandemic. Um, We have a, actually, we have our first question from the audience um, about whether you could, and this is very well-timed because we were about to talk more about it, briefly explaining what Davida's AI strategy is and the data governance initiatives that you've undertaken for, as part of that. And I know that they often do go hand in hand because it's AI, of course, is all about the advanced analytics. So to, uh, give us give us the big picture and uh, some examples maybe of that. Sure. Uh, I, when we started, I, I became CIO here nine years ago. At, mm-hmm. at eight and a half years ago, uh, one of the first initiatives uh, that that I launched was on uh, master data management yeah. uh, and really organizing and aligning data. Um, you know, you can't. You know, it's kind of getting the getting the nuggets of gold out of all of the rest uh, yeah. from that perspective to me. And if you're not if you don't have a good structure to organize data, it's a lot harder to make analytics work for you oh, yeah. uh, and, and AI. So that that was and we probably had a, you know, kick that off with a governance process that uh, I had our chief medical officer and uh, and then several key business stakeholders who we called data stewards uh, involved. So we did it very much in a collaborative way uh, with our business partners uh, to define, you know, what are what are what are data definitions? How do we uh, mm-hmm. go about organizing data? And uh, that that took uh about a three-year period of time so you know it is it's a journey uh because uh, we have uh lots and lots of uh 
of data in terms of think of it as we've got uh, at this point about 20 years of longitudinal data uh, mm -hmm. on our patients and uh, this disease state. So there's a lot of things that you know you can learn uh, from uh, having right a long timeline. AI yeah. is much more effective, I think, as many on the call probably realize and know that if you have kind of good uh, set of longitudinal data, uh, you mm -hmm. can do some techniques to kind of, it's, you know, six months and, and to try and replicate, uh, but you do need at least, uh, we found, you know, six months of good data mm -hmm. uh, in order to, you know, for the AI and the predictability of the models to actually work. Yeah. So. Uh, from that perspective, we then uh, embarked on uh, really uh, ideation sessions that we held with the business to uh, uncover, you know, what were kind of our, uh, you know, our, our big problems or, or areas of opportunity. So there was a, a, essentially we formed what was called an AICOE or a center of excellence around AI Good. and uh, invited uh, our business partners. And then we went to actually uh, each of the areas across the business and held these ideation sessions, both to educate people on what I, AI is and is not and isn't, uh, yeah. because I think there was quite a bit of uh, probably uh, hype that came into the space uh, in terms of what AI was and wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and so we educated on what it was and then also what were pro practical uh, you know, use cases and things that they could relate to uh, where, uh, you know, you could think of business problems that would be likely good candidates for AI. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, if you think about that, it, 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 it boils into, uh, you know, AI is very good to me at seeing seas of continuously changing data. So if you've got individuals, right, that are trying to uh, essentially look at lots and lots of disparate data that's regularly changing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, AI can, can, can coalesce that and provide sort of great insights. Uh, so we found that, or you know, there were opportunities where we, we just didn't have, you know, we, there was a set set of logic, uh, but we didn't have, uh, we weren't as fully covered perhaps across a topic as we would want to be. So like one, mm -hmm. one kind of simple example of that in the back office was expense reports. Uh, you know, oh. we, we essentially had teams that random spot check, checked expense reports and uh, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, essentially get through all of them. Uh, from that perspective, it allowed us to be able to create a capability. Uh, we're doing stuff uh, uh, also with recruiting and sort of learning uh, how, uh, what are the characteristics, the attributes and using AI? We get millions of uh, resumes mm -hmm. uh, each year. Uh, and really, uh, you know, from a recruiter and a recruiting perspective, right, it's really uh, difficult, right, to sort through all of the millions and millions of those. Uh, so AI is actually helping us to understand, uh, you know, what, what attributes to look mm -hmm. for uh, in resumes and in some of the chat conversations that occur that, mm -hmm. that allow us to uh, get, get teammates that are more likely to be successful yeah. uh, and to thrive. So, so it's, you know, that, and then, you know, I haven't even talked about clinical, right? So there's been a ton of uh, uh, work in clinical in terms yes. of helping us with predictive capabilities, uh, mm -hmm. which is probably the most important, but, uh, I know that uh, many on the call may not be in healthcare, 
so uh, wanted to touch on a few of the back office ones as well. Well, I think that's a great idea. And also, I've found that um, that CIOs and IT leaders across various industries really enjoy these kind of conversations because it sparks that what you are doing with AI in different areas probably sparks an idea that would be more applicable to their industry. And I think, you know, and I know we are gonna talk a little bit more about the AI and telemedicine aspects. We've got another question though, that I think fits well into our discussion uh, right now. Um, and this was about the collaboration that we had been talking about, since collaboration is something that's a core value and something you value a lot at DaVita. Can you help um, our listening audience understand how the teams are aligned around collaboration that also keeps a focus on business outcomes? Is that part of it? Is, is the collaboration isn't just a, a feel good, everybody working together. It's probably, especially when you think about um, agile and scrum teams and everything, there's more of a focus on business outcomes and the products that are being produced here. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I would say uh, I'm fortunate uh, that I joined the village with a uh, or DeVito with a uh, essentially uh, a mindset towards continuous improvement. So mm -hmm. uh, and to get continuous improvement, you have to maintain a focus on on business and business outcomes. But, mm -hmm. you know, we, we say there's a, uh, a nice way to do that. Right. And so there's a there's a collaborative way and, a you know, and in the, in a culturally smart way to uh to approach right how you interact with others uh, mm -hmm. but um we've improved outcomes for our patients over the last uh 20 uh now 21 years in a row so there's a tremendous uh focus to continue uh in that in that vein which keeps us kind of heavily focused on on business outcomes uh and you know we just a lot of our metrics are tuned uh you know to really take us back to the patient and keep us uh, heavily focused on what matters most and mm -hmm. uh, and actually driving results year over year. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, you know, we we have uh, collaborative meetings that, uh, you know, that are just designed to, uh, you know, to learn about each other and to mm -hmm. understand our unique journeys that everyone has had. Mm -hmm. uh, because we, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, the, the more people can connect, I, I always thought of it as people connect emotionally first and then they connect logic second. So if I have an emotional connection with you, Mary Fran, you mm -hmm. know, then I'm much more likely to listen to the logic that you're trying to provide or right. or or drive uh, the business purpose that you're trying to drive. So, yeah. uh, well, so in, anyway, in an industry. Yeah, and in, it, in an industry like yours, Alan, I would imagine that a business outcome is really we're talking about patient outcomes because the success of the business is so tied to the success of your patients. Um, and before we leave uh, this topic entirely, I also wanted to, uh, that collaboration and that spirit of working together, I had one last question about that and whether you had any advice to share with your peers and other IT leaders out there about how to navigate the coming year when we're gonna have some employees, maybe a lot of them coming back into office environments, but still many more than you had before that will be working remotely. What are some of the uh, 
does that change anything significantly in the way you are leading those 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 two thousand IT people around the world that that work for Davida? I, I would say, I mean, we we are uh, distributed today, so I don't mm -hmm. uh, I don't have the luxury of having two thousand people in one location, right. uh, and uh, you know, and and we do that for a couple of reasons, right? One, uh, uh, there you know, we're, we are globally distributed, but more importantly. Uh, I'm I'm more I'm more interested in you as an individual and the talents that you provide as opposed to uh, where you choose to live. <laughs> so right. uh, uh, for, from that from that perspective, so we were you know we're very we were very diverse before we are net, you know we will be uh, coming back and I think uh, there is you know, certainly I think the pandemic has taught us uh, many things. One of which uh, was its advanced. Uh, Kind of many capabilities that you know that that and tested many things that people weren't sure about right which is could you actually be as productive uh you know uh working remote could you mm -hmm. uh you know uh, essentially could you know uh, could it work from a cultural standpoint and i think uh uh we've managed a lot of that that being said i still am excited uh to um essentially have people be able to get back together in uh, their local environments. I just think, you know, there's, there is a benefit to, you know, human connection as, as, as exciting mm -hmm. as seeing everyone on video is, yes. uh, you know, and, and getting a chance to uh, bond in that way. So, uh, but, but, but exactly right. I think we will, we'll, we'll manage several different models and our uh, business partners, but ultimately, mm -hmm. you know, we will do, do it in a way that, you know, kind of keeps our patients first in mind and 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 uh, maintaining our culture and doing what we need to do culturally. And I think some of the being back in the office is just really important uh, for new uh, for, for people that are new uh, mm -hmm. and new teammates. Uh, you know, it's 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 a little easier, I think, for those that have relationships, uh, you know, and strong relationships to move uh, to move, to move mm -hmm. remote and continue to. To, to, so, so there's some of that uh, uh, work I'm excited to do and excited to have, uh, you know, kind of folks be able to uh, get into the office on a periodic basis. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've had a couple of conversations, uh, very interesting ones from a technology perspective with CIOs who are wondering um, how they're going to make sure a meeting is very uh, kind of in a democratized, how do you democratize all the communication that has to happen in a meeting? If you have a couple of people that are on the screen and then a couple of people that are around the conference table, um, at, you know, the, someone made the point that when you're on Zoom or a video conferencing application and everybody's there, you've got a level playing field. But as you are you looking at any technologies that will advance kind of the state of how you use video conferencing when you've got that that hybrid situation of people there and people not there? We are. Uh, we're looking at uh, actually a couple of different technologies. And so uh, one uh, one that we're uh, essentially we had uh, a pretty good video conference presence. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in our conference rooms before the pandemic because of the global nature of, of the company. Sure. But, uh, I, you know, we are looking at uh, a couple of different options about, you know, how do we create more of a, a feeling of, you know, for those that are remote and dialing in, you know, how do we create a little more sense of belonging? Almost as mm -hmm. I call it, you know, how do you, 
how do you replicate the Brady Bunch functionality that you get with Zoom or WebEx? Uh, yeah. And uh, f- from that from that perspective, so that, like you said, it doesn't feel like there's five in a room and there's two on the phone that are uh, kind of uh, left alone. But uh, we were dealing with uh, kind of with that uh, situation, I would say, even before before COVID uh, happened, uh, yeah. because we, you know, had uh, because of the distributed nature of of, of the company. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, but I am excited that I think technology, sorry, uh, w- you know, seems to be moving forward to continue to you know make huge advances, both of that and I would say uh, how virtual meetings, you know, on a broad scale occur. There's some, you know, some pretty exciting, I think, stuff that is going on there. And we've been testing uh, uh, that. Uh, so so some of our meetings likely will not, you know, will not come back to being uh, big gatherings or they will move to being periodic uh, yes. from that perspective. So, yeah, uh, I've heard so. a lot of people say that they don't see any reason like for big town halls where once once a month say they have to drag everybody in from the field. I just, those are, it's hard to say now which of our behaviors have permanently changed because of the last 16 months. But I think probably a year from now, we'll know a little bit more about that. And I was thinking as, as technology has played a, a huge role in healthcare for a long time now, but is getting bigger all the time. When we think about improving those outcomes for patients, um, how has how has that um, how do you communicate well about that with your patient population, which is older and probably, you know, people in kidney care situations and in dialysis usually are, I was going to say baby boomers and older. Um, how has that, how has that gone? And af- after we talk about that a little bit, I'd like to talk a little more also about the AI pieces of that, that have made it more engaging. Yeah. Uh, the, I think one of the things that's uh, that the that the pandemic has done, it probably advanced uh, telemedicine and healthcare. Uh, okay. I think in terms of adoption, you know, it's probably five, ten years uh, acceleration. Uh, and so, when the pandemic occurred, uh, the the essentially uh, the regulatory and the government agencies right realized that hey, te- you know, we actually need telemedicine. Uh, yeah. But I think for us, the nice news is we created a holistic patient application that included uh, telemedicine. And so okay. it was being used primarily for our uh, home uh, population. And so those are our folks that choose to do uh, dialysis at their home. Uh, and so we actually, there was a use case or a very good use case for that kind of application Mm-hmm. Uh, because we we see those patients monthly instead of every three days, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for telemedicine, if you see someone every three days, it's probably not, uh, you know, as as needed per se. But in that home space, it definitely was. But yeah, uh, we combined uh, telemedicine with uh, uh, remote monitoring capabilities. So we measure, you know, you actually uh have uh, connected scales, blood pressure, pulsometers, uh, those kind of things, uh, as well as uh, some AI-driven uh, chat uh, to, to, to help you with reminders. And so because okay. a lot of that population to take us, you know, like you said, into that AI piece mm-hmm. uh, is 
you know, uh, a lot of our, our patients, right, are, are elderly and therefore may not have the acuity or the eyesight anymore, right, to, uh, to be uh, smartphone, uh, you know, smartphone experts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I consider myself a smartphone expert, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, but uh, certainly, uh, so what we did was uh, we tried to voice enable a lot of this uh, okay. so that you can uh, actually uh, you know, you can, you can speak and, uh, you know, and, and relay how you're doing. Uh, you know, it'll remind you to take your meds. You take the, the most amount of oral medications, uh, of any, uh, I would say in, in kidney disease, uh, than, than, than any other disease state. And so, really? you know, okay. that can be as much as 20, <laughs> 22 pills a day. Uh, and so, yeah. And so, uh, you know, helping people to keep up and remind them about that, remind them mm-hmm. about appointments uh, and uh, also just provide education and tips uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, is just uh, super important. Uh, and some of the things that we're excited about is some of the peer group collaboration that we're able to do is, you know, able to facilitate through this as well, which is, oh, really? you know, essentially, right. If you uh, have kidney disease, you can talk to other folks who have kidney disease and, you know, learn, you know, similarly, I guess, to what we're doing today is, you know, we can learn from others and, uh, and uh, our patients, I think, uh, really enjoy that and respond to it quite well. Yeah. Well, when we had talked earlier, you mentioned, and you called it an umbrella application, and I'm sure that's not the official name of it, but tell me more about that. Is that involved with this patient workflow and with things that you're doing in telemedicine? It is. Uh, so we have a, the application is called DaVita Care Connect and okay. uh, that our patients use. Uh, but I, I, I think of it as an umbrella application in that uh, we essentially are providing kind of a seamless experience yeah. uh, to our patients or an orchestrated experience. But a lot of the technology that, that, that underlies it is not technology that's, you know, that, that we created at DaVita. And so... Uh, we just created an opportunity for uh, essentially our patients to have a single frame and a single login, which is important, right, from from that perspective, because uh, there's many disparate uh, technologies that help with telemedicine, uh, you know, secure chatting, how you run uh, mm-hmm. interactive uh, education and, uh, and connected, uh, like I said, chat sessions. There's just a number of those. Uh, you know, there really wasn't a need for us to create those uh, because we can get those from uh, third party providers. But right, right. Uh, we didn't want right and didn't think we'd get uh, you know any level of adoption if we were asking uh, our patients to just log into these 16 different applications, yeah. uh, you know, in order to create an experience for you. Right. So uh, we, we brought all those together under under one platform and it. Uh, and one sort of branding from that perspective. Mm-hmm. The nice news is too, you can uh, essentially change uh, what's going on within the application based on what's going on with the patient. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, therefore, you know, you can, uh, you know, if a patient uh, is interested or, you know, you're wanting them to get certain kinds of education, or mm-hmm. if you're wanting to connect them to peer groups, or uh, you're wanting them to uh, kind of, you know, remind them of appointments or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ask how they're feeling and doing, 
you know, all of that uh, can be, you know, is can be curated at a per patient level, which is exciting yeah. as well. Well, and I imagine, too, that there's so much that's happening in consumer technologies that is helpful for this. I know I've got, you know, grandchildren under the age of five who will say, Alexa, play me such and such, or, you know, might speak to Siri or say, OK, Google. And um, did you have you found as a as this as the CIO and the creator behind all of this, were you surprised at how easily these technologies were taken up how did you because i know you do you do a lot of collaborative work between your technology and business teams uh, or your patient care teams and what what was the uptake like was it a, a pleasant surprise that everybody just grabbed onto it uh, it, it was i think uh and uh you know it puts a lot of pressure on you to make uh you know whatever you're doing valuable mm -hmm. uh you know, it puts a, you know, obviously it has to work, you know, nobody would talk to Alexa or uh, to Google or, uh, or Siri, right. If, uh, you know, if it returned yeah. uh, nonsense or so to speak. So, you know, you really have to think through, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, how do you go about responding to things uh, mm -hmm. and in healthcare, it's highly regulated, right. So you also have to you know, have a lot of, uh, we get a, a tremendous amount of support from our legal and compliance groups as well, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, that what we're doing, uh, um, you know, is, it makes sense and is acceptable and, you know, in, yeah. in the world we live in. Well, and we got a, uh, a very specific and tactical question about this from our audience. Are you providing patients with a custom iPad type device to use this app, or is it just something they can access and use? Uh, more generally from their chosen device. How does that work? Uh, we, we actually do provide uh, a device and, uh, mm -hmm. but it will also work from your device. So we're, oh, uh, I would say we're agnostic, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, whether you want to bring your own or uh, essentially you want uh, a DeVita device. So we made it okay. uh, to where it will work on tablets or, uh, iPads, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, which is, you know, uh, an exciting part about, uh, what we do from a, you know, a consumer, uh, perspective, right. Which is you've got, you know, you, in a, in DeVita's environment, we're, uh, because of the security that we feel that Apple devices give us, we're, we're, we're Apple, uh, mm -hmm. from that perspective, but, uh, you know, we're dealing with, uh, our consumer population or our patient population, it's much more consumer oriented. They have all kinds of devices. Um, yeah. So we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, it would work on whatever it works on a laptop, on an, on mm -hmm. a tablet, you know, of various kinds as well as smartphones. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, and I would say that's true for our physicians as well. Uh, most of our physicians have Apple devices, but, but some have uh, Android-based devices as well. So you know, it's important in those areas that we just, you know, we meet folks with the technology that works best for them. Yes. Well, and, and you're in that um, kind of enviable position where you can create and productize some of these technologies yourselves. So you, you essentially have like a little software company operating inside DaVita. Am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, uh, we, we do. Uh, okay. So, you know, uh, I would say probably, uh, you know, gosh, uh, 13, 1400 of the 
of the people we have are are, are making software. Uh, and so uh, so that gives us a, a kind of a, a nice uh, a nice advantage, right? Versus, uh, I think you know probably those that that don't have the capability, uh, but mm-hmm. we're vigilant, right? To we don't want to we don't want to build what we could commercially buy, <laughs> right? So, right. Uh, well, you know. Well, I know you've been around, we've both been around IT long enough to remember when that was just not very common to find, you know, like very capable data engineering and software company capabilities inside of other businesses that weren't, you know, necessarily technology vendors, right? So was that something, have you been building up that force since you came to DaVita back in 2012, or is that something a little more recent? I feel like I have a lot of talks these days with CIOs about um, acquiring more of that data engineering and software engineering talent that maybe 10 years ago was being outsourced or taken from you know all around the world. Um, what, is, what is your experience with that? And was that something that you started from your beginning with them or is it more recent? It probably goes all the way back. I mean, I started doing software uh, application development and then worked mm-hmm. on, on the commercial side of software for a number of years. And so, uh, and uh, which, you know, so I, I, I had a value for that personally in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. of what it does. In terms of DaVita, I think DaVita, because of that unique nature, uh, you know, of us being in a specialty, and having the you know kind of the high degree of volume that we do or yes. you know or our size uh there was a custom software mentality when i joined uh and so uh you know we've certainly it's certainly you know transformed over the years i would say when i joined it was uh you know a, an extensive waterfall type technology you know technology mm-hmm. group and uh you know and that's evolved sort of to be you know very uh, very uh, agile and uh, and then because of healthcare we're we're at we operate in an agile way but it's not pure agile in many of the things that we do uh, just because of the amount of regulatory compliance and testing that you have to do so yes. for many of these apps you know if you think about it right uh, people's lives are at stake so mm-hmm. uh, you know you it's a very you know it's kind of very serious uh, in terms of the the level of testing and some of those things that you need to do. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I thought of that earlier when you mentioned the ability to use some AI modules in um, scanning resumes and recruiting and that sort of thing. Talk a little bit about your talent recruiting. I know you're in the, the beautiful mile high city of Denver, um, but it's not Silicon Valley, you know, and it's not even uh, the, the a big East Coast city. How do you, what is it, the mission base of DaVita that helps you attract talent? Or do you have the same talent attraction issues that CIOs anywhere have these days where everybody can work from anywhere? Yeah, and I would say, uh, you you know, we're, we're flexible. So, you know, in terms of where people are. So the good news is I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not limited to recruiting. Uh, yeah. We have East Coast uh, teams that are doing this work. We have uh, teams in the Southeast, teams in the, uh, in the in the in essentially in Silicon Valley and teams in uh, in in Seattle in that area as well as in Denver 
uh, you know, are kind of bigger locations for where we have, you know, technology presence. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we've got a, a number of offshore, you know, um, essentially big technology presences. So, yes. uh, but I would say for us, uh, yeah, we, we, I think we differentiate a little bit. There's two, two, two ways that we differentiate. We're working on exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, because we are a company that's heavily focused on innovation and improving mm -hmm. outcomes for our patients. And, you know, I connect it to patients because, uh, you know, I've, I've done IT a lot of my career, uh, you know, mm -hmm. It's 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 fun to do, but it but it you know perhaps is not as fulfilling as doing that. You know, in a way, you're giving back to others uh, when you're uh, operating in healthcare. So uh, I think uh, that that combined with the fact that we do have a a, a culture that cares, a culture of empowerment, uh, and uh, you know, so we 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 take these things very seriously. So you know, kind of all all of them. Well, and I've noticed a lot of CIOs, especially as they, if they've worked in several different industries the way you have, once they end up landing in healthcare and get with kind of a mission-based organization, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to pry them loose. <laughs> you know, that just there's something very fulfilling about it, isn't there? There is. There is. Yeah. Uh, and I think the a lot of the uh, folks I'm fortunate fortunate to work with, uh, quite honestly. Uh, you know, they could they could go do anything that they want to do. Uh, you know, you have yeah. that level of talent and skill, uh, you know, and they, they choose to be here, you know, uh, mm -hmm. for for the reasons I just highlighted. I think yeah. they, they find it very fulfilling. Well, I remember reading somewhere um, your initial meeting with your CEO, um, with Javier Rodriguez, and talking about your interest in DeVita because your own father had had kidney care issues. And so this was something of a personal mission for you as well. It was. Uh, I, I hadn't uh, worked. I worked in just about every vertical except for healthcare. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and my uh, father uh, uh, essentially passed away from kidney disease. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, uh, but I was along for that journey and just, you know, yeah. saw in the medical industry that, you know, uh, that, it just uh, we we filled out our our name and the information and you had, you know, uh, many things that just didn't seem, you know, it just seemed like IT could really help out yeah. uh, and uh, that we were doing things in the more consumer side of uh, of, of retail and other things that were, mm -hmm. you know, that were just allowed much, much better connection. Uh, and uh, and certainly I probably naively dove into the space uh, thinking, you know, we were you know, that I'd have all that fixed in a, you know, in a, just 12 months or less. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the answer is it's, it is a very complex uh, environment for healthcare, you know, and it occurs, uh, you know, it is highly, highly regulated. And so mm -hmm. as to where a lot of the things in the consumer, uh, you know, space are less so. Uh, mm -hmm. So your, your ability to, uh, to do things doesn't mean that you can't do them. It just means that you, you know, it's, You've got to be more thoughtful about it and uh, and uh, more, uh, I would say, communicative and inclusive about what you're doing in order yes. for those things to occur. Yeah. But it's encouraging to see. I think the regulatory uh, environment is uh, is uh, embracing more uh, mm -hmm. what I call data interoperability and uh, yeah. some of some of the uh, things that I think will you know certainly propel healthcare. Uh, even further uh, in the years to come.
Mm -hmm. Well, and some of those things that you've been talking about in interviews for a number of years as well. It can, it can feel kind of satisfying to have those some of those chickens coming home to roost. Um, let me, our, um, for our wrap-up question, I, I want to ask you what the pandemic challenges of the last year have taught you as a leader. You know, we, we've noted you're, you're in the CIO Hall of Fame, you're the Colorado CIO of the Year, you've been around the block a few times being a leader. Was there anything that you took out of the last year that was something surprising to you or something new or something you felt like you wanted to double down on? Yeah, I, I would say, I don't know that it necessarily taught me new things per se, mm -hmm. but it, it, did, uh, it did reinforce some things. Uh, I think, first of all, it reinforced for me that, you know, that having a great culture and uh, you know, and being focused in healthcare uh, patients and patient care, it's an extremely fulfilling place to be. Uh, and so, yes, we may have, uh, you know, uh, all grabbed a grabbed a, a row and uh, or an oar and rowed uh, a little harder for uh, the months during the pandemic to make things uh, seamless and to make things work. But uh, you know, I think it was actually a fulfilling time for everyone that was involved with it because you know it just. Uh, you know, it's something about a crisis, perhaps, that brings folks even more closely together. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, which kind of brings me to, you know, back to, I think the other thing was it, it really taught me uh, just, you know, even more so. I've always had a, you know, a feeling of, of empathy and a, and a feeling of, uh, you know, empowerment, but, uh, you know, for, for those that I work with and uh, the, you know, it, it really taught me even more so that, uh, you know, that what's going on, you know, during what, what occurred during this, was it a much bigger level personally for people than mm -hmm. certainly even, you know, the, than what we were trying to accomplish from a work perspective. And uh, so, you know, as, as you connect those uh, dots, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it just, you know, made me really pause and reflect and say, you know, it's, it, you know, You've, you've got to uh, essentially have empathy and you've got to uh, really put yourself in other people's shoes uh, from that perspective in terms of the challenges and things that they're going through. Yes. So uh, and uh, and certainly it was fun, like I said, from a technology perspective, because we you know had the ability to accelerate a lot of, you know, really kind of leading edge technology that, like I said, I think wouldn't have, you know, might not have rolled out for, you know, or been as, is more fully embraced as it is now for yeah. probably five, you know, plus more years. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's fun on that front as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I know, and, and you mentioned earlier, all the attention and concerns we have now around racial equality and the, the greater attention that's being paid everywhere to diversity and hiring and that sort of thing. Have you, and that'll truly be my last question, have you changed anything in your own hiring and interviewing a process to try and encourage more of that diversity. I've always read about how diverse the staff and the IT operation is at Davida even now. But is there anything more or more specific that you're doing? Yeah, um, uh, it's it's great. Uh, I think we we've done a couple of things that we always, to me, I think you know what what makes you great is to have a diverse set of opinions, backgrounds, perspectives. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to embrace those. So, 
you know, to me, that's, you know, if you're, if you're going to be as good as you can be, you know, uh, having everyone that's, uh, thinks exactly alike is probably not going to get you the best outcomes <laughs> or the right. best solutions. Uh, so to me, um, I think I've always, uh, had embraced that, uh, from that perspective, but we have done a few things we've added, um, uh, essentially, uh, uh, diverse, uh, a diverse interview, uh, panel, uh, from that perspective as a part of our interviewing processes, mm-hmm. uh, and we always were, uh, you know, we, before this, we essentially were requiring a diverse, uh, panel of candidates. Yes. Uh, but I think, you know, some of the, uh, interview pieces, it usually ended up that the interview pieces were diverse, but we've been much more intentional to make sure that happens. Good. And mm-hmm. then, uh, we've created, uh, essentially, uh, a number of sessions, uh, where we're listening and learning, uh, from, uh, our diverse, uh, teammates. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's, uh, been, you know, extremely valuable for them, but even more so f- to open folks eyes to, you know, to, you know, to kind of the, the, that perspective. And, uh, yes. so it's been, I think, humbling in terms of the difference that I think we've made in a lot of people's lives. So great. Great. Excellent. Well, such a such a good answer. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for your time today, Alan. It was really lovely to be able to catch up with you again. It's been a little while since we talked. And this was really, this was really fascinating. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, uh, it's always great to see you and get some time with you. I I always learn something when I talk to Mary Fran. <laughs> Somebody one time told me that I looked, they looked at my picture and they said, well, she looks like a very friendly know-it-all. And I thought, oh, good grief. That's, I think my fifth grade teacher might have said that years ago. So, so I do love having a lot of questions and you have been really great to answer them all. Thanks so much today, Alan. If you joined us late today, do not despair. You can watch our full episode later today here on LinkedIn, but also on CIO.com and on YouTube's IDG Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as a podcast, and that will be posted by tomorrow to wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have enjoyed today's conversation with CIO Alan Cullop of DaVita as much as I have, and that you come back for our next episode, which will be on two weeks from today on Wednesday, June 16th. Again, at noon Eastern here on LinkedIn and YouTube. And I'll be joined by CIO Kieran Venkamamidi, who is from Driscoll's, the Berry people out in California. Thanks so much again to our sponsor, Cisco, for its support. And do take a moment to sign up for our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all of the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Stay well out there, and we'll see you here next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.